Hello again, and welcome to another episode of The Goat Farm. With me, as always, is Ross. Say hello, Ross. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. Happy to get another one going. Yeah, bringing a little bit of consistency back into our lives. Yeah. More, more will be coming. I'm, I'm staying focused on it this year. <laughs> so um, for opening topic, I had a kind of an interesting thing that happened uh, the other day where the internet was brought to their knees. So apparently there is a library for left padding numbers and uh, an NPM, which NPM, if you're not familiar with NPM, NPM is Node Package Manager. And essentially there's a repository where you can go and download um, libraries, uh, much like RubyGems, if you're familiar with RubyGems, or RPM, uh, in the case of Rebian. Uh, Rebian. Rebian is going to be the new distribution when Debian and Red Hat <laughs> uh, if you're using Red Hat and so forth, right? So just the package repository that you can pull down code. Apparently, a lot of people were dependent upon this library, and there was a little bit of a controversy between the maintainer of several libraries and NPM and another company as well. And apparently, NPM gave, made somebody give up a namespace, so essentially a guy had this repository name or this package name, and this company wanted it because it was their company name, and NPM basically said, we're, we're taking it away. So the guy got angry and he decided to have all of this code removed from NPM. And so what happened was, is all these apps that were dependent upon it, when they went to go and do a build and maybe even launch new instances to run in production and other things like that, this library is all of a sudden missing. <laughs> and nobody can get it. And apparently it's 17-line library, because you should totally package that up into a library. And it brought the internet to its needs. And so the one of the things that, uh, why I wanted to talk about this today, and uh, our guests, uh, we have uh, Adam Auerbach. Uh, and I wrote that out phonetically, and I still messed it up. <laughs> and uh, Topo Pau, both from Capital One. Uh, so you guys might have some perspective on this, especially working at a bank and especially having different uh, security and how you run production requirements. But every time that I go into a large enterprise organization, uh, one thing that I tend to run into a lot is a lot of the open source tooling is just built around this idea of you're just downloading stuff off the internet and running it directly on your laptop with no checks whatsoever, right? And so you're just downloading a bunch of gems or you're downloading RPMs and other things like that. And uh, it, it is kind of interesting of how you begin to start a process of bringing in this somebody else's code to run it into your environment in a safe way, but without bringing out in all the organizational rigor, or I'm sorry, you want rigor, but you don't necessarily want the process that holds you back. So love to hear our guest thoughts on that. Um, and, and the really interesting thing is this is something that can be solved for $3,000 a year. And if you're, like JFrog offers this caching service that allows you to cache it, uh, cache these repositories. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, how you've solved it, how you have to work around it uh, on a constant basis, especially working in a, a, something like a bank. Right, uh, so let me take that. Uh, so uh, we have something similar, uh, not all the way for all the different technologies, but for the main ones, uh, we do have our own private repositories that we maintain, and the things that gets in there are are, are basically uh, uh, pre-checked by security and and our legal department in terms of security vulnerability and and licensing requirements. Now, some of the things are done automated way, and some of the things are done in a, in a manual fashion. Now, when the build happens internally we all uh, resolve our dependencies uh, against that uh, private repository. Now, as I said, uh, it doesn't work uh, very well for all the different languages, uh, but uh, that's where we, we sometimes get burned on. JavaScript is one such. Uh, we have not fully solved uh, in, you know, in, 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 in terms of how we get everything in our private repository so that all the dependencies are met. We have a pretty good handle on the Java side, or even RubyGem side, or even on our side. But JavaScript is something that we need to solve. And I think that thing that happened two days ago, or, or a couple of days, uh, three, is it two days or three or four days ago, 
whatever it is, it's kind of a, a wake up call for By everyone. By the time we publish this, it'll be a couple of weeks, so it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So it's kind of a wake up call for, for everyone. Uh, you do not want to run into that kind of risk where your whole build pipeline uh, kind of falls uh, uh, on its face uh, just because of 11 lines of code somewhere somebody's maintaining uh, <laughs> and deciding uh, basically on behalf of us uh, whether that needs to be there forever or not. It's a well, and, that, and that's really interesting because the dynamic has changed a little bit in how artifact repositories have become so important. Right. And there are several companies that are making decent money off of just having artifact repositories. Right. Um, and then the, the, that being now the single point of failure is basically the artifact repository. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's very difficult for any, any uh, regular developer to understand how deep those dependencies go. They just don't realize. They just run the you know, NPM install and, and you know, there you go. Everything magically happens. <laughs> <laughs> but there is this library that has 11 lines and just uh, left pa uh, pads left a particular string. Uh, it's important, of course, but... Uh, you know, that kind of dependencies can be managed through the development process also, but not everybody uh, kind of be that careful all the time. Yeah, these kids these days and their new technology, uh, you know, uh, when in my day I just used printf and I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What were you going to say, Ross? Uh, you know, I was just thinking through like what would the, what would some of the maybe enterprise behaviors be that could result from this and that, I feel like like one of two things could happen. You could either, we're finally starting to make a lot of progress with open source and, and enterprises actually taking advantage of it and leveraging it and not just getting everything through, you know, vendor package software. Like would they, would they retreat from that stance now because it, of the risk that they, they see how this kind of materialized or will it actually force some behaviors to actually drive more discipline into how it's actually consumed. And I'm cur curious, I'm kind of curious if you guys have any thoughts on that. So I think uh, uh, there's no way turning back at this point, right? Uh, the way the, the things are laid out in terms of uh, having the developers decide where they want to go and innovate on a regular basis, uh, we cannot just simply say, you cannot use all these open source libraries from tomorrow. You better write yours or decide uh, two months earlier which ones you are going to use and somebody is going to leave you every details of it and then allow you to use. That's not going to work. I think there are other ways to uh, make sure that this doesn't happen. But having said that, I'm going to say, and, and I'm almost sure uh, I'm right here, that these risks are going to be there and we somehow have to learn how to live with it. Yeah. I think that's spot on. I think the, uh, you know, we, we stumbled upon some of this when we were with our Ruby gems and we saw that when we weren't managing it very well, people were overwriting each other, dependencies were happening and all of a sudden people's scripts were failing because someone had a different version. And so it caused us to have to manage this more aggressively. But I think to Topo's point, what we see happening is that we, instead of depending on other people, how can we create the next set of gems? How do we create, that next set of open source uh, softwares and that way we know it what it is instead of having to be dependent but we still need to use it because we know that's the most powerful for what we're trying to do i think this is actually a timely topic because i think we're we're going to get a little bit more into to your approach to open source here i think as we get get deeper into this conversation um but i don't know what that uh michael should we maybe pivot to the t the core topic for today talk about capital one yeah, so let's start talking to our guests. So we have Adam Auerbach, as I said. Uh, he's a senior director for the Advanced Tech Testing and Release Services. We'll find out what that actually is. That sounds interesting. And then Topo Pal, director and platform uh, engineering fellow, both from Capital One. So why don't you both take uh, a couple minutes to introduce yourselves? Yeah, so uh, Adam Auerbach, um, I am basically the last enterprise testing leader at Capital One. So I have uh, performance testing, test data management, our test automation center of excellence, and our release uh, engineering group. And we support all of the lines of business. Um, and we're really driving around continuous delivery 
and then automating the controls and processes so that we are able to get to continuous delivery without all the manual interactions and building tools to help eliminate constraints for people like test data or using service virtualization or things like that. Hi, I'm Topo Pal. Uh, uh, this is my fifth year with Capital One. I joined uh, in the enterprise architecture uh, organization as an enterprise architect and then moved over to cloud infrastructure area, technology operations area. And DevOps is my passion. And I work on DevOps. I'm basically an individual contributor. I do not have anybody reporting to me, and that's fantastic for me. Uh, so I can do whatever I want to do. And I really work uh, very closely with Adam and, and many other teams to make sure that we are doing DevOps in Capital One. Uh, I won't say the right way, but in some way that 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 fits us. So I've uh, I've had the opportunity to, to get to know both of these guys a little bit over the last year, just collaborating, you know, between Target and Capital One or different different events that we've we've all been at together, and it's it's been fascinating to me. I, I know a bit about about their transformation from from kind of an agile and DevOps perspective at, at Capital One, and it's been impressive to see how fast they're moving when you think about the fact that it's such a large enterprise. And uh, one thing that I thought maybe, maybe to kick us off a little bit, one thing that I thought was super interesting, I think this was at, um, at the AWS event, but I think your CIO went public and said that, you know, you guys want to be the, the Netflix of financial services. Um, give me your thoughts on that. Like, how does that, how does that public message translate down to like what kind of behavior does that drive in the organization when they hear the CIO say that? It, it's definitely pretty powerful. I think one of the, I've worked at many different financial institutions, right? And even though he comes out and makes a statement like that, it's not forced on you, right? It, we have a, a culture where we thrive on socialization and collaboration. And really that statement comes out after the fact of you know, leadership you know, saying, hey, this is what we're, we're striving to be. Uh, people like Topo doing experiments, showing people how it can be done, building a groundswell for that. And you get this like perfect mix of top down, you know, hey, directionally we want to go this place and then bottom up getting excite, excited to go there and experiment. And uh, that's really created this environment to, to you know, experiment and, and really bring in these technologies and adopt them and just want to learn and try new things. Um, and that's how things have changed so quickly. Uh, it's been pretty remarkable. I've been here for three years and it seems like every six months we've, we've pivoted and, and now have done something else, whether it was agile or this, the scaled agile framework or CI or, or whatever it's been, it's, it happens really quickly because of that perfect storm. And it's a great feeling for developers and the people on the ground that you are basically getting your CIO support. And that's fantastic. That lets people to move even faster. Can, can you guys share a little bit about just the kind of scope or scale of your transformation? I mean, you're talking about CICD across a pretty significant organization, a pretty large pivot to agile. Do you guys want to share a little bit about what that looks like? So, so Adam, you want to go ahead because we have all the data, I think. <laughs> yeah, so um, I want to say that we, uh, so we have um, six lines of business um, all spread across the United States. What we basically do is we create these, these enterprise programs to be able to drive uh, that change. So we started three years ago with the Agile Transformation. I want to say that we, you know, within six months, we have about 500 Agile teams up and running. I think now we're somewhere around a thousand agile teams. And so basically every time we go through one of these, these uh, initiatives, right, it's around getting buy-in from each of our lines of business where they create accountable representatives within their teams that are going to be owners for that, uh, partnering with the enterprise people to get dedicated, to build out the documentation, the support, the tooling. Um, and so we just, that's how we did it with, with agile, with CI, with CT and, uh, and with CD, so. Yeah, along those lines, we kind of started uh, on our CI journey much before we started our Agile journey, which is kind of counterintuitive, but it happened that way. We kind of noticed that we are 
doing a lot of manual steps, you know, even building process, software building process. So we started with the C CI process, continuous integration with Hudson. Jenkins was not even born at that time. And, and then I think it was the timing that, that, that this, this train uh, uh, of uh, work was going on and then uh, safe came in and then it was almost became a must for uh, CI and CD implementation to even have the safe uh, trains going. So it's the timing that actually helped us a lot in, in implementing CI CD across the whole, whole enterprise because the buy-in was there from the top. And how did you, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, or I've been in a lot of conversations around approaches to scaling and there's different scaling frameworks and some people don't like scaling frameworks and some, some do. How did you land on SAFE at, at Capital One? And, and, and it sounds like that's worked really, really effective effectively for you kind of how did you land on that and then how did you introduce it so rapidly into the organization so um we basically uh sent a bunch of people uh to the training and then they came back and we looked at it and we said how can we you know adapt this to, to fit our needs and what we determined was hey you know what let's just do an experiment let's stand up a train let's take everything that dean leffingwell and his group say we should do and let's go and do it and see how it works and so we actually ran the transformation group as our first train and we saw a lot of good things come out of that. And then we said, you know what, let's, let's try to do this at scale with other lines. Um, and then, so what we did is we would have like a, uh, I want to say like an eight week period where we would go through getting all the prep done, get into release planning. And that would have two days of agile training, get them into a two day uh, release planning and boom, they started sprinting. And that would be for groups of 10 to 12 teams. And, you know, we just trained people really quickly, got them up and running. And, uh, you know, we saw a lot of success. We had some people that bastardized it out of the gate. And uh, they ultimately would either go back and, and restart or, you know, they're still having some learnings, at, you know, as they go. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who have negative things to say about safe and, and other frameworks. Um, but for us, it was just a blueprint of how to get started quickly. Right. And, uh, like what safe looks like today is not how it's documented. It's not how we started, but you know, we've gotten really good at how to, how to groom, how to be aligned by value stream and, and have a product orientation. And instead of just spinning our wheels, trying to define and figure all that out, it gave us a way to just get started. Yeah. I think for us, it's a guideline rather than a prescription. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's usually how a lot of the things are, right? And I think yeah. even with most of your DevOps principles, they usually tend to be a guideline of right. how things should behave and how things should operate. But every right. organization has to implement things differently or do things differently. Right. So we have, yeah, we have some reference implementation, but it's not that everybody has to follow that uh, because, you know, you cannot just uh, uh, push this thing from the top down and expect everybody to follow you. So yeah. you, you mentioned top down again. And so one, so the theme of the show, one thing that we definitely want to talk about is this idea of measuring the transformation, which we'll get to definitely in a second. But you had mentioned this idea of the CIO really was a major champion of this. And we've seen that before, uh, at, at least senior leadership having buy-in. I know at Target, senior leadership at a certain point really bought in pretty strongly at Target, uh, Ross, with your, your experience. Yeah. Well, one thing that we usually see is that it starts with a rogue group down at the bottom that proves something out and the senior leaders see it and they're like, oh, wow, this is something that we should probably take on a bigger scale. Or it's a couple of teams that start doing it and the senior leaders finally see it and are really interested in it. So was it a similar experience or was it a true top-down experience for you? It, it actually started with the rogue team and, and I was a part of that rogue team. <laughs> of course you were. You're the rogue agent that just floats around Capital One sprinkling DevOps. They literally do that. I think they float him around Capital One sprinkling DevOps all he, over the place. He is, he is our in-house celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so it started with a rogue team and people uh, or, or the leaders saw the changes or the benefits of it. And then the timing also helped. So it, it's basically all of them, you know, all the positive things put together that, that made things happen really fast and in a, in a large scale. Yeah, so what... Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. 
So what I was going to say is, um, so what really happens is you, you grab that, that senior leader as your evangelist and you go back to SLT and you show them, hey, by, having, by doing CI, this is what it now enables us. And they all go, that sounds really great, um, you know, but let's see how it progresses before I'm ready to invest in it. Um, and then you just get them to give you somebody to work with on their teams. And you take those people and you get them to do experiments within their line so that you can go back a month later and, and say, okay, we now did these experiments, but we did them in your space to show you that it can work with COTS products or it can work in a retail situation or whatever. And then you just keep getting back in front of them to show them, okay, you know, for those that have bought in, look at the progress they're making. Oh, wait, you guys haven't really bought in, you know, so you have it. And then they start, you know, talking amongst themselves and create some pressure. And that just creates this, this top down, top down momentum. And meanwhile, the people who are experimenting, who are doing it, they're the ones that are doing demos. They're the ones getting rewarded and being showcased. And so you really, like I mentioned this before, that perfect storm of like, that leadership is buying in and they're wanting to push that down. And yet, and now the people at the bottom are getting excited because they're seeing they're getting rewarded for doing it. And Adam, your uh, SLT is senior leadership team, right? Yes. Yeah. Got it. Um, I think one thing that's interesting too, and, and I met Adam at, at Velocity last year uh, and it was kind of interesting. I was doing a talk on, on targets, DevOps transformation. There was a point in the talk where, I was talking about like we're trying to figure out how to scale this across a massive enterprise. And I asked the audience if anyone has figured that out yet, or if they have like raised their hand. And I think two people out of a few hundred raised their hand. I'm like, all right, I want to meet you guys after because I want to learn how to do it. So I met Adam. And I think one thing that was interesting in that discussion was that the speed from when, you know, from when you went to maybe rogue team to, getting the visibility with senior leadership to, to it acting tops down and it really kind of getting deeply penetrated into the organization. It felt very fast compared to a lot of the transformations that, that I've seen or talked to other companies on. And that, that was impressive. I think you had some insight into, you know, capital one's culture and why you guys were able to pivot so quickly, but um, yeah, that was, it was pretty cool to see. And, and I think a great thing for people to learn from. You know, with the theme of the show being measurement, how you measure success of this type of transformation, can, can you guys talk a little bit around kind of how you have focused on measuring success and maybe what those outcomes are, how you've evolved those measures over time? Uh, what's that starting to look like now? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll start there. So um, initially, a lot of the metrics start as adoption metrics. So it's more about, you know, we've, we've agreed that this is something we want to do and how well, are we, like, how are we doing just doing it? Um, so like the first thing we did for Agile was we created an Agile effectiveness scorecard. And it was basically um, how big are your teams? How many, you know, who's on a team, who's not on a team? How, the health of your backlog? How well is it groomed? Um, your velocity um, or the deviation of your velocity? you know, sprint over sprint, like very basic agile metrics, not a lot of value, like is agile really working for us? Um, but more along the lines of like, are people doing it? Um, and then from there we started evolving now getting into, okay, well, are these things having value? And that's now where we're getting to, okay, let's look at something for speed, something for quality and something for productivity, because that's, you know, why we're supposed to be doing all of this. Right. And so that's the, th the thing that you see is, Initial, like even with like CD, we came up with there's like 15 or so benchmark things that people should be doing if you're going to be doing CD and let's track who's doing them, right? And then we kind of pivot to, all right, let's look at the, the value that that's providing. Right. Yeah, I want to add that, you know, so, so these days our, 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 our uh, focus is on, okay, now that we are doing the DevOps and CI, CD and Agile, so what? Uh, what's the benefit out of it? Not in terms of, uh, you know, return of investment, but actually w w what are the different things that are, that are being uh, done more eff eff uh, efficiently uh, these days uh, as compared to, let's say, what we used to do four years ago? Uh, and how do you measure that? Uh, and, and that's something that we are focusing on these days. How, uh, so when, when you were in those early stages and, and it was kind of measuring whether people were even just doing the things, before you maybe got to started to get to value or outcome measures, how was the 
I guess the response of the organization, if they knew they were kind of being watched on whether they were doing something or whether they won't weren't, was that something that the team members embraced? Were they worried like management's like watching what they're doing? Were, were they shamed into it? Were they excited to do it? Like what, what's your take on what the behavior within the organization was that emerged from that? Yeah. So um, I will tell you that um, we very quickly grew weary of assessments, right? Um, and they were quickly gamed, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as somebody started pulling those metrics um, and you realize that I could influence and, and create less pain for myself, uh, they got gamed very quickly. And so we built an in-house program, an in-house program that basically extrapolated that information from version one and JIRA and this, the, the tools that we use every day um, to be able to automatically report that stuff. And that's exactly what we've done with the latest version of Hygieia is to be, instead of having to rely on surveys and questionnaires and interviews, but be able to pull that information programmatically and stage it as such a way as that it's not meant to assess anybody or, or punish anybody, but use it as a way of understanding where do we need to focus. Yeah, so let's, let's maybe talk about Hygieia. So I, I'm pretty excited about Hygieia personally, and my assumption is this is part of where you've started to evolve too on how you're capturing measures across the organization. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about what, what that is and kind of how you got started on it and where it's going? Yeah, let me take that. Uh, so uh, our initial thought about uh, DevOps was kind of based on three major principles. One is shifting left. We all know what that means. Automate everything. We all know what that means. And the third thing was transparency seeing everything that is happening in the pipeline. And, and, and when I say seeing, it's basically seen by everybody involved in that particular product development team. Uh, so we, we knew that we are not going to stick to one single set of tools across the whole organization. And it will vary from team to team, technology to technology, product by product. So we thought that we need to have some dashboard where the basic things are shown. And basically the dashboard kind of talks to the team. Uh, and, and, and in, in that particular dashboard, we want to see what's going on in your pipeline, uh, what ha what's happening through your coding process, uh, uh, what stories you are working on, are your builds successful, if the builds are successful, are they running long, how many builds you are doing per day, per uh, seven days, or over a period of time, your code analysis, your functional testing, your security analysis, your deployment jobs, all the status should be shown on a single pane of glass and actually be seen by everybody involved in the product team so that nobody has to go and find out what's going on in my Jenkins, what's going on in my deployment tool, what's going on in my sonar, it's right there in front of you. And then you can actually have a discussion thread started on the basis of what is shown on the dashboard. My code quality or my unit test coverage is low, now what? The developers discuss among themselves that, hey, how do I improve that, that metric or my uh, deployment jobs are failing so you can actually have a discussion why my deployment jobs are failing so frequently can you fix something so it's not it's not the dashboard is not meant to actually point out a particular person or error or something it's just a, a way of starting a discussion within the team so that they can correct themselves now that was version one in version two Adam and I worked together uh, quite a lot to actually figure out a way to measure speed and quality through the pipeline. So in version two, we actually can measure the speed of every commit going through each and every uh, you know, stages, such as my commit stage, my build stage, my deployment stages through different kind of environments all the way to production. We can actually see uh, a particular commit, how long it is staying in a particular stage. And if it is too long, then people can ask themselves, why is it taking two days for a particular commit to go from, let's say, my QA to my performance environment. Is it just staying there for no reason, or is it there? Uh, is, is it staying there because we have manual test cases, things of, of that nature? Uh, so with that, we can actually measure speed, and we can actually have a historical view of my code quality through the whole pipeline to actually have a better CI-CD pipeline at the end. Adam, you want to add something to that? No, I mean, I think it's just been really eye-opening seeing it come to, to fruition and, and actually looking at it. Today, I was going through it and uh, just, you know, 
getting that nice visualization of flow and being able to understand where your bottlenecks are. I mean, it just jumps right at, you don't need to dive into any, you just see it and it smacks you right in the face. Like, Oh my God, look at all this, all these commits that are sitting in performance tests for days. Like what is happening here? And then, you know, you can just start to drill down into those jobs. I mean, it's just, it's a really powerful. Yeah. You instantly get a view of where the waste is. Absolutely. And then, and we, Adam and I had a lot of discussion around how to measure speed. I think what we realized is instead of measuring the speed, let's bubble up the stopping points, the idle times. Mm -hmm. If we can reduce the idle times, then speed automatically increases. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I had this realization at some point that, uh, you know, anything can be put through a release pipeline or very similar to release pipeline, especially now when you have things like infrastructure as code and whatnot, Terraform, all of those things where we can dynamically build infrastructure. So all of those things can go through the pipeline. Your application can as well. And thus, if we're putting everything into a pipeline, thus the best way to begin to start optimizing the pipeline is through a value stream, right? And so yes. being able to draw what that value stream looks like in near real time is, is, is quite amazing. Which is essentially, I mean, kind of what Hygieia is doing. You can visually see your value stream in right. real time is taking data from all the tools in your pipeline, correct? Right. We want to actually take the next step to it to actually have the features or a visualization of features moving through the pipeline. And there are quite a bit of challenge in, in, in doing that, but we are trying to figure out the best way to do that. Maybe we'll have one way to do it, and then the community may propose a few other ways mm -hmm. to do the same thing, and, and we'll see how, it, how that goes. So yeah, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So uh, I'd like to understand your decision process, because Hygieia is a community, it's an open source project. It's a project that you guys have open sourced. Talk to me a little bit about, I mean, did you look at the vendor landscape? Was there nothing out there that did that? You know, why did, and then based on that, why did you decide to open source versus just build internal? Um, talk, talk a little bit about the thinking there. Yeah, we actually look for that kind of a dashboard for at least one year. Uh, we didn't find any anything in, in the marketplace, either in the open source or commercial market. Uh, there are some good ALM kind of tools that shows you one half of the things, and there are some pure DevOps kind of tools, or I, I'd call them ops tools that shows you a lot of good uh, metrics around your 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 application running in production in terms of monitoring, you know, and, uh, and performance measurements and all that. But there was nothing actually. Uh, that showed the pipeline from coding to production, uh, that perspective. And uh, that's one challenge. And the second challenge was, uh, even if I had a tool that was very uh, uh, tool-specific, uh, we needed something that is tools agnostic, meaning that we'll have different kind of tools. Uh, I mean, internally, we use about uh, two uh, story management tools, at least, and you know, three different build systems and multiple deployment uh, tools. So, getting data in a in a in a nice fashion from all these different kind of tools uh, was very important for us. So we created ourselves. Uh, we we did a POC uh, for about two two three months, and then we refactored, redesigned. And we showed it to people. Uh, we went uh, with some QA testing internally with a couple of teams, got feedback, and then we showed it to our leaders and, and actually landed a sponsored project. And, and Adam was part of that again. Uh, and with that project, we actually redesigned the whole thing to uh, land in Hygiene 1.0 version. And when we did that, then we realized that this may be, uh, you know, our way to solve the problem, but there may be better ways. So let's go out and ask the community as to what they feel about it. That's why we started thinking about uh, open sourcing the tools. And we did that. We, and we open sourced during OSCON in 2015. We thought that that would be a good venue to do that because it's open source convention and we are open sourcing a product. So let's go out and do it. And I'm kind of curious what your um, as much as you can talk about it, uh, obviously you may not be able to, but there's always a challenge. And I know Ross went through some of those things and, uh, I work for chef and we have a, um, 
corporate contributor license agreement that needs to be signed before people can contribute to our open source project, mainly because we also have some commercial offerings around it as well. And it's always been a struggle for us to get corporations to sign that from time to time. It depends upon the corporation and whatnot. Yeah. So I'm kind of interested of how you how you were able to sell it internally to to open up the bank a little bit more to start contributing something out. And how did you make that re people realize that one, it wasn't a security risk, and then also it wasn't a um, I can't think of the word IP that a yes. differentiating IP, right? Right. So so I can tell you the whole journey. It uh, sort of started with continuous integration. So uh, long story short, uh, when we moved from, uh, uh, moved from, you know, libraries sitting around in everybody's code repositories and nobody knew what we have and what we are building with, we moved away from that and had a central repository, Maven central kind of repository within Capital One and tried to move all these libraries into that uh, repository and then we realized that we have some libraries that nobody knows where they came from. It looks like Apache Commons, but it's not really uh, is. And, and we started asking people, where did they come from? And people said, oh, we took this library and, library and modified them and we stored them in our own code repository. And then I asked the question that, can you not contribute back? And that was not, of course, allowed. So we actually had to, had to make a case to our senior leaders that if we actually contribute back and then take it back from the open source community, it's easier for us. That way, our code is always green and it can compile well all the time. We do not have to have the headache to manage these libraries ourselves. And that was kind of sold. So we started giving back to the community in terms of, you know, uh, you know uh, we contributed to Spring quite a lot, Apache, Hadoop, and all those things. And then we took it to the next step. How about open sourcing our own things? Now that we started contributing to open source, it's just one more extra step to actually open source our own tool, where the tool actually didn't have anything to do with banking. It's just a you know, developer's tool. So it was very easy for us to make that case, and 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 our leader, leaders actually bought uh, bought into the idea that it, it is a good idea that that you know uh, we need to go out open source and contribute more. And you guys, yeah, and I was just one thing real quick, Ross. Um, it probably also helps that uh, helps you maybe maybe um, from an architectural perspective, making sure that you don't put anything there in there. When if you know that you're going to release it, that's proprietary, right? And kind of abstracting yeah. that out ar architecturally. Right, exactly. And and not only that, I mean, I have seen a lot of teams actually have uh, written their uh, own, own tools. And when you tell them that, let's open source that, and they go like, oh, now I need to refactor and make it good, actually. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing that Adrian always said, Adrian Kamarov. <laughs> Uh, was that when yeah. Netflix was getting ready to open source one of their tools, there'd be like the last sprint that they would do was like clean up and like yeah. code quality because they yeah. were scared of somebody laughing at them. Yeah. And I've, yeah. Talked to, I've talked to many companies where actually people do have teams writing their own tools and those tools are only applicable for that particular team. It cannot be used by a second team in the same organization. So if you ask them to make it open source, then it becomes uh, more usable and, and, you know, users go up. Yeah, we've actually created a, we have a panel at Target of some, some of our best engineers that if we're going to, if we're going to put anything out in open source, like they review it to make sure that like, is it credible? Are we writing decent code? Like we got to make sure we're just not putting junk out there. Right, right. Yeah. How, uh, so how, how do you kind of see your open source strategy moving forward then? I mean, you've, you've, you've evolved a lot um, in a short period of time, it sounds like there. Yes, it's, it's, it's a, it, it was a good, good journey. I mean, we open sourced Hygia uh, last year during July, and in eight months we got so much traction that we got no, we actually uh, won the open source rookie of the year 2015. Wow. Uh, this year. Uh, That's really cool. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty awesome. We didn't really expect that, but it was kind of a pleasant surprise for all of us. Uh, and after that, actually, we are seeing much more uh, enthusiasm in our developers to open source their own tools. So we do have an open source office set up just for that. 
to facilitate uh, not only open source consumption, but also give out open source uh, in terms of contribution. And how, uh, so, so interesting, like Target's getting involved in Hygieia now too. We're pretty excited about it. I've got a... I saw a couple of pull requests from your team. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're getting pumped about it. They're starting to do some demos internally. Oh, really? I'm working through the CLA right now. I've been through that process with Chef, so I know what it's like. <laughs> um, but how, how can people get involved? Like, how can they get involved in this project uh, if they're interested? Because I, I imagine some of our I – think, I think you you laid out a scenario that I think is very common for our listeners, which is – you're a large enterprise, you have a lot of different tools, you're going to have some redundancy and tools that do the same thing. So you need kind of that flexibility of being able to measure across those things. Right. I, I'm guessing there might be some interest in getting involved in this project. All you need to do is sign that CLA, which is uh, a Google Doc, basically, or maybe a spreadsheet where you put in your name or your company and your GitHub ID and do the PR. Uh, and we have uh, three... Uh, core committers who are looking at the PRs and and based on our uh, our time constraints, it gets merged maybe on a regular basis or maybe every one week. But going forward, uh, I'm contemplating one structure where I can have multiple people uh, be included in advisory board uh, and and then actually can drive the product forward. And in the adversary board, maybe it will be Capital One and a few other organizations and a few other core contributors from outside that can actually have a say and drive the product forward on an ongoing basis. And actually, it's a funny thing. When, when uh, we, we were saying that we'll uh, kind of open source our own tools, some people said that, what if the tools have bugs in them? I said, don't worry. We write banking software. We deal with people money. Just a dashboard. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do have a, th a question, I guess, like if you look further out with Hygieia, like where do you see it potentially going longer term? Like, yeah, I know you're, you're talking about version 2.0 and stuff a lot right now and getting a lot of that in place, but where, where do you envision it going? So I'm envisioning uh, every agile delivery team uh, that are practicing DevOps or doing CI/CD in some form or fashion will have Hygieia dashboard displayed on a big screen TV in the team area or running on their laptop. Maybe someday it will have a, a footprint in a mobile device also, so that while you are driving, you can see your builder. <laughs> <laughs> while you're driving? <laughs> My build I broke. guess you can make a CarPlay app, right? Android car, whatever Android's is called. Android yeah, app. yeah, the CarPlay will make, yeah. make sure that you have your dashboard on your, on your dashboard. Right. <laughs> Technology. <laughs> I, the only thing I'll just add to this is, there's been a really great side effect to all this, right? Which is, you know, when you talk about the competitors in the financial markets, right? It's not going to be other big banks, right? It's the PayPal's, the Ebay's, Google, whatnot. And for us to be competitive, we need to have top talent, right? And top talent engineers expect to use and contribute to open source. And so that's been one of the, the best side effects of, of having this product out there is that, you know, it, it has given us a lot of credibility. It has energized our engineers. It has empowered us to be able to bring on top talent and keep top talent because we are embracing this and, and being core contributors. So that's been a really great side effect of doing this. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's absolutely critical in kind of the, the talent war for engineers in mm -hmm. today's world. Um, where do you see, how, how big of a pivot do you think other enterprises will make towards open source. I think you guys are probably more leading edge than many. And when you think about like a traditional enterprise, that's had an IT function for a long time. Do you see that changing rapidly? Do you think there will be a slower change? I think it will depend upon the industry. Uh, maybe, you know, I'm just, Taking a guess, maybe not many financial institutes will come out and, and contribute to open source like the way you do, but uh, I think uh, amount of contributions from other industries will go up. Target is one example. That sounds like a, a challenge to your competitors. <laughs> if they're listening, they should take you up on it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, think, you go ahead. Uh, what I was going to say is that I just, um, what I've seen, at least like in the testing space, um, I don't know that there's the products out there 
are moving as fast as we need them to move. And so that's been like the driving force for us is that the open source testing tools um, are able to, to keep up and do what we need them to do. Um, and we've asked some of the large uh, third parties to, to do those same things and they're not there. So, you know, if you're a cost constrained financial company and you, you want to be doing these things, open source makes a ton of sense to you. Mm -hmm. And I think those, those third parties continue to look more and more expensive as mm -hmm. open source gets a, a bigger and bigger foothold on market. Yeah. Yeah. Do I want to spend millions of dollars on an enterprise license to do performance testing when I can go grab off the shelf open source tools and not have to pay all of that and I have more power? Yeah. A pat Apache bench. What else do you need? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should probably, um, I don't know, Michael, we could probably start moving up to some wrap-up questions. Yeah, I could probably talk about this topic all day. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I can't. <laughs> where, uh, where are you guys going to be this year? Like, where, you know, I know, I know Topo in particular, you're out, you're out in the public a lot speaking. Adam, I see you getting out there more. Where, where can people see you this year? Yeah, it's definitely conference season. It's, it's getting ready to launch here in a couple months. So sponsoring devops days dc and we'll have a, a table or booth there uh, we are also planning for hygia developer and user meetup during that conference so if you are there just stop by our booth we are sponsoring oscon again this year in a bigger way and we'll have office hours and, and you know our own things uh, in, in in the booth so stop by uh, if you are there those two that i know of adam uh, you know uh, well, so Topo and I are going to be speaking at Velocity again this year, right. and then uh, I'm doing an, a talk uh, in I think uh, October at Star West on continuous testing. So, cool. yeah, I have a talk at Oscon also, and Velocity is uh, of course with Adam, and that's all we have planned for so far. Are either of you doing the uh, the DevOps Enterprise Summit this year? Yes, I'll be there. Cool. You speaking? You planning to speak? Uh, planning to, don't know yet on what. Yeah, I suppose the, uh, <laughs> it's still early to know who else speaking. <laughs> right, right, right. Are, are, you, uh, are you going to the, the forum that Gene's putting yeah. on? Awesome. Yeah. Are you? Yeah, yep, okay. I'll be there. So that's uh, 27th April, right? 27th yep. Cool. Nice. Well, we'll get a chance to sync up there. Yep. So kind of beginning to wrap up here. Uh, if there's one piece of advice that you could give someone uh, that's beginning this journey, uh, what would it be? Um, <laughs> now you can't think of things to say. <laughs> it's not so easy. Is it? Well, I would, I would say just go, just start with something, start experimenting um, and then use those experiments to find advocates. Right. I think that's uh, the very early on Topo mentioned earlier, like, you know, his experiments with showing how to use, um, you know, the CI tools, and getting people to buy into that. I mean, that created, started this journey. Um, and a lot of things that we've done are from people doing experiments. So that's the first thing is like do an experiment, show your, your management team how it can work and, and get some advocates and then things go from there. Yeah, I'll kind of say along the same line, uh, empower the developers and expect that there'll be some goof ups and you have to support them during that time. Uh, and then success will automatically come. Yeah, and what's interesting is that this is, seems to have been a very development-focused um, episode of the podcast. However, uh, looking at the show notes that we'll uh, definitely post, one of the thing, a lot of the things that you posted in there are actually things that the operations people will need to help you with, right, along the way in your journey. Uh, so things like uh, immutable servers, uh, security, um, probably artifact management, automated build and deploy, all of those sorts of things are definitely stuff that the operations people have to be as part of this journey, right? Right, and, and one thing I need to clarify here, when I say developers, to me, everybody's developers these days. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Amen. So, yeah. <laughs> I agree. If you, I hope, if you I hope more people learn that. That's a really important, that's my one takeaway for our audience. Like, if there's one thing to take away from this, all engineers are developers. Yeah, definitely. And at least, you know, PowerShell has definitely started to help change that mindset. <laughs> I mean, probably the area that it needs to be changed the most. Yeah. 
<laughs> so how can how can people get a hold of you uh, either through LinkedIn or on Twitter? LinkedIn and Twitter for me. Yeah, no, same for me. I'm a bugman31 on Twitter. I'm Topopal on Twitter. I assume, I assume bugman has something to do with the, the QA role and testing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah most, of, most, most of my talks, most of my articles are, are focused around testing. <laughs> nice. And you have 31 flavors of tests that you do, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just like Baskin Robbins. Topo, what was your uh, handle again? Topopal. All right, and we'll include those in the show notes. I think it's uh, one thing that's cool too is we had um, we had Adrian and Cockcroft on earlier in a, in a previous show, and he was like really adamant that we get you guys on. So I'm I'm super pumped that we we finally were able to get you guys on. He's been singing your praises at Capital One. It's great to have someone like that out in the industry talking so positively about what you guys are doing. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. As always, you can get a hold of us at the podcast uh, on Twitter at GoatCan. Uh, be, sh be sure to visit our site as well, GoatCan.com or GoatCan.do. Uh, as always, you can reach me on Twitter as well, at MFDII. And I'm at, at Ross Clinton. I'd like to definitely thank the Capital One gentleman for uh, joining the podcast. It's very cool to listen to what you've been doing. Uh, definitely make sure that you check out their project. Uh, make sure I, I can say it right. Hygia. Yeah, I always want to say Hyera. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know what? Oh, I wish I would have asked this earlier. This is totally disrupting our closure. What is it? What is like? What's the metaphor? What is Hygia? So it's goddess of health. So Hygia is to make sure that your delivery pipeline is healthy. Nice. Is it what kind of goddess? Greek goddess or Greek goddess? Yes. All right. Mm -hmm. We've, we've liked to use our gods and goddesses in some of our projects too. Yeah, let me know how that goes. If you need help, just you know, reach out to me directly. Awesome. Once again, as I said, thanks so much for being on. Uh, and as always, remember, be the goat.